0: This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks with your host, Doug Craig, on Moose FM.
1: Welcome to the show. A little later on, we're going to be chatting a bit about Bill C18, which did pass yesterday. Uh, the bill compels Facebook and Google to pay news organizations for sharing their articles, and Facebook has already said that they plan to block links to Canadian news articles from appearing in your Facebook feed. So we're going to chat with Dr. Darren D'Francesco of Northern Lights College about sort of the impact that's going to have and and what it might have on the spread of information and misinformation in uh, some senses but first it's been a while since we had kind of a general check-in with our northern neighbor in the northern rockies regional municipality so to talk about some of the things going on in fort nelson and the area we're joined now by the mayor of the municipality rob fraser rob welcome back to moose talks thanks for having me deb Uh, so let's uh, start first about uh, kind of what's been everybody on everybody's mind this season uh, the wildfires now kind of halfway between Fort St. John and Fort Nelson, the Donny Creek complex uh, is the biggest fire in BC history. Now uh, there was some worry for uh, a time about how close it got to the highway. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I just thought in general, we'd talk, uh, you know how people are faring because you were basically under a, a, a smoky skies morning for the better part of a month with all the smoke that was blowing up towards the municipality. Eh?
0: Yeah, that's right. That fire is, over 100 kilometers from the community so there's no danger from the fire perspective but the smoke mm-hmm. the smoke is uh has been causing us some grief the ash and the smoke was so heavy that it actually took down our uh, bc hydro generating
1: station well let's talk about that i mean that was a that was a pretty big story when we heard about that because of course the first part of it is they had to send people up i think you were out of power for most of a day and then it happened a second time uh, because of just how gummed up I guess the system got uh if you can break down for us exactly what happened and 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 what the plan is I guess going forward to mitigate that situation from happening again
0: sure so what so most people might not realize that we're uh, we're not in the BC hydro grid up here so we generate our own power with a uh, natural gas fired uh Generating system turbine generating system puts out about 70 megawatts. We use about seven megawatts in our community, so about 10% of its its output. The rest is sold over to Alberta with a with a line that goes to a uh, over to Alberta an electrical mm-hmm. line that goes to Alberta and then Northern Alberta. And then, if for any reason our generation station goes down, of course we can backfeed from Alberta to give us the backup power that we need. Well, Alberta Northern Alberta had fires before we did. That power line is burned up. So the generating station here is providing uh, seven megawatts of power, but it, so it's just idling along. It's not. So when the smoke came, uh, I think BC Hydro was a little bit surprised by the amount of smoke and ash and how it pulled into their air intake filters. And and so this is not just like one filter that's on your vehicle for for your air. It's, it's 160 filters, canister filters, and they brought them in on a 737.
2: Mm-hmm. So anyways,
0: it went down. It went down. Uh, we were out of power for uh, almost 24 hours and and they they had an emergency fix they took them out they cleaned them they put them back in while they were waiting for new filters so it there was no expectation that they would have that many spare filters on site i mean you need a, a building just just to store them in mm-hmm. so they were able to get them up here and but they were able to, about 24 hours later they got the power back up with the old filters hmm. so they hoped that they would last and we were actually planning for a planned out outage but nobody knew when the when the new filters were actually going to get here. They'd sourced them from a couple of different places. In the meantime, they expected around 10 o'clock that evening. In the meantime, 5 o'clock that evening, the power went down again. So because the original filters that they cleaned, put back in, started to plant back up, they plugged up again, and down she went. And so they left it down until the new filters got there that later that evening. So we were down for about another uh, eight hours. Mm-hmm. And the next morning when people got up, It was going again so they brought in filters they brought in spare filters um but there's no way we're fixing that power line over alberta because it goes through a lot of muskeg and we're not getting out there until wintertime freezing conditions so we're essentially on our own from a power perspective so our discussions with hydro are well what happens it's you know it's a long fire season and it looks like it's going to be pretty busy what are we going to do the rest of the year mm-hmm. uh, until we can get that power line fixed. And so they brought in uh, two ge- diesel fire generators that can put out about three megawatts of, uh, of energy. Uh, so essentially it'll, it'll run our, our downtown core, the, the, the restaurants, the, the, the hospital, the, um, the hotels, the grocery stores, so that uh, people have a place to go get food, get their supplies. Uh, our rec centers on backup, our, our, water system and sewer systems all on, on our own backup system. So, so, so we're pretty, we're pretty good there. Nice. So that's the plan. I have a meeting with them this morning to really finalize the details on, on what that looks like and what we might be doing, what we will be able to do. Cause if wintertime comes three megawatts is not enough. So what's the plan moving, moving forward, late fall, uh, early winter until we can get that power line fixed. Uh, I guess the saving grace with that is that there'll be no more fire season. So the the generator the the 70 the megawatt generator should be good in the fall and the winter time. But you know, you always have to have a backup. Plan.
1: Absolutely. And I should so say uh this the, the power plant um generates power for Fort Nelson but also for uh as I understand the Prophet River First Nation and the Fort Nelson First Nation. So it's got kind of you and kind of communities nearby that all were without power when it went down eh
0: that is correct yeah yeah okay we're all on the same power grid yeah
1: all right well we've got that uh, challenger dealing with but also as i mentioned the highway uh, earlier uh, as i said the fire got pretty close to the alaska highway for a bit there uh which is worrying for a number of reasons but evacuating fort nelson if if that were to happen your first choice would be to come south to fort st john but if the highway was cut off, what what kind of happens then and, and what does an evacuation to the north, I suppose, of the town look like?
0: Yeah, that's a pretty complicated, complex question. But mm-hmm. a, a couple of things would have to happen first. Uh, there would have to be either one very large fire that's threatening the community and cutting off the Alaska Highway, yeah. or two fires, one that's cutting off the Alaska Highway to the south and, and another one that happens to be impinging on the community. So... If that were to happen uh, and people w- would need to evacuate to the north, uh, you'd think Watson Lake would be the first place. And it is the first town, but it's not big enough to take this community. And so mm-hmm. Whitehorse is likely uh, the city that we would move to. And so we're working with uh, the Yukon Emergency Authority. We're working with the B.C. Uh, emergency uh, service to figure out exactly what an evacuation like that would look like. We would have to use buses that are already in the, in the community. So that means school buses, because if Alaska highways closed, there's nobody getting here. Yep. And so we're on yep. our own. And so that's problematic to move. Uh, well, first of all, I guess a lot of people who have their own vehicles, they have campers. This is a summertime situation, obviously with the fires. So a lot of them would just hook onto their campers, fill them up with their supplies that they needed. And they would, go north along the Alaska Highway, and I suppose they probably can't. But that creates a problem unto itself uh, because after seven or eight days, those people need to restock, they need their honey wagons cleaned out, they need water. So you have to put all that in place, uh, probably from here to at least the, to the, to the, to the liard Hot Springs. Then there's the people who can't drive, don't have vehicles, uh, have difficulties, um, or who are at, at risk. Uh, when you do it, those folks would, would probably have to go on a, on a school bus. If, if we did that and that becomes problematic, no bathrooms, you'd have to stop. So that 10 hour trip to, to a Whitehorse would be extremely difficult. So mm-hmm. then we'd have to really look at flights. How could we, I mean, we've got a fantastic airport here built in the war years and we can land a 737 here. And, uh, and, and if the military were helping, you know, just about any of their planes could land on this, uh, on this strip and, and we'd have to move people, um, those those types of people who can't move themselves we'd have to probably move them uh, by aircraft so then repatriating everybody has a whole big plan unto itself so so that's sort of the rough sketch of what a plan would look like our staff are really working with all the agencies to figure out exactly what the details would be and as i said right at the start right, to be your full circle it would take a perfect storm for us to have to do that
1: mm-hmm. now that uh kind of a you know relates to my next question which was the last time we came on here we talked about the rainbow lake connector highway which is something that's been bandied about for for decades uh kind of in the north it would connect you to rainbow lake across the border in alberta uh you were saying before we got in the air this is suddenly a discussion that more people are having because if the alaska highway gets caught up or um uh, you know cut off i should say there's only one way out and that's to go north so suddenly uh this almost becomes an even more important conversation to have.
0: Yeah. High level is probably big enough uh, to take the the folks that, that would need to evacuate out of here. And it it certainly would be a shorter route. And from an evacuation perspective, it, it, you know, it it starts to lend credence to that idea that a a connector road over to Alberta would, would make some sense. And, Mm -hmm. and so it, it, it's just, you know, there, there's lots of pros and cons to it and, and, uh, but that's, that's one more pro, I suppose, that recently with all the activity, fire activity, people have been discussing uh, a little bit more. Uh, I, we'd have to bring the province to the table. Uh, the Alberta side is pretty much done right to the, pro, right to the uh, boundary already. So uh, there's the, the nation is concerned about some very critical uh, caribou habitat in mm-hmm. that area. So there's lots of hurdles. Uh, but but there has been a little bit more discussion about what what that road might look like from an evacuation perspective.
1: OK, well, we've got one more minute, Rob. I want to make sure we asked about this, too. Uh, there was a story that uh, we did over at energetic city uh, about a couple physicians that were going to be coming to Fort Nelson to, you know, be physicians. And uh, the council was looking at providing housing for them. But the concern was there was really not enough for both of them at the time um i think that story came out last month or even maybe the month before i wondered if we had an update on that and if uh you know you would had the first physician arrive yet and what maybe the plan might be for the second physician who's i believe set to come later in the year
0: yeah um yeah the, uh, the physicians are here uh, one is single, the other one has a family. The, the second physician's family is not here. And that's, that's where we'll, we, we have, we're short, we're short of a house. Right. And so we have an incentive program here where we provide uh, subsidized housing for our, for our healthcare professionals, the doctors, uh, particularly, um, uh, to give them a place to live while they're here, just to really, to recruit and retain. And so, uh, council has authorized in this year's budget to buy another house. So we will buy another house uh, to have available in our housing stock uh, available for the physician's family uh, when they arrive.
1: I see. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, we'll have to leave it there for now, uh, Rob. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes for us. I know you've been very busy lately, uh, and I appreciate your time. You're welcome, Doug. All right. That was Mayor Rob Fraser of the Northern Rockies Regional Municipality. We'll be right back to talk to Darren Francesco right after this on the Moose, uh, Moose Talks. Welcome back to today's show. I'm Dub Craig. Now, you may have heard about Bill C-18. It passed yesterday and uh, received a royal assent, which means it's essentially law now. The Canadian government says it's going to take a few months to sort of decide exactly how it's going to roll out uh, sort of the implications of the bill which will compel Facebook and Google to pay news organizations such as EnergeticCity.ca for sharing their articles. Now, right out of the gate, Facebook has already said that they're going to start blocking news from being on Facebook, Canadian news, specifically as a result of this bill so to talk a bit about what that means for you and uh, what it can mean for the spread of information and misinformation on the internet uh, we chatted with a local professor uh, Dr. Darren uh, DeFrancesco of Northern Lights College about uh, what this could mean for you uh, here's that conversation Dr. D. Francesco, thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, let's get into the bill itself, if you can, as kind of succinctly as possible. Explain to one us moment. We're actually having some bill technical is difficulties, difficulties here. To do, and uh, what, I'm going to pull the screen how, back to myself. Going to and have have. Let me do it the here. news that, uh, while I figured it out. Uh, we do have a video, of course, of the uh, the uh, audio playing in just a moment. I think I've got it sorted out now. So now we'll go to that conversation. Dr. D. Francesco, thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, let's get into the bill itself, if you can, as kind of succinctly as possible, explain to us what the bill is purporting to do and what how what kind of effect it's going to have on the news that we would normally see on Facebook and Google.
2: Mm -hmm. So the idea behind Bill C-18 is to require internet tech platforms, the big players like Meta, which owns Facebook, and also Google to pay broadcasters to use their content. So let's say Facebook or Google wants to display a CBC or global news clip, they'd be required to negotiate some form of compensation deals uh, with these news organizations in order to do so.
1: I see. So essentially, uh, in the case of, say, like an EnergeticCity.ca, they would pay Energetic City to be able to share um, the, the kind of the news article or whatnot. That's right. But both companies have come out and said, we're not going to do that. If, if this becomes law, we're just going to simply stop. Allowing news articles to be shared in the case of meta and Facebook on Facebook, Instagram, kind of their companies, and then Google, I suppose you you won't be able to search it and find it in the same way, I guess, eh?
2: That's right. Yeah, so I think it's important to understand how these companies make their money and both Facebook, Meta, and that includes Instagram as well, uh, YouTube, um, as well as Google, they make most of their money from advertising. And so it actually doesn't really benefit them in terms of profit uh, to share news links. So they're not really losing anything by dropping those links. So if they're being asked to pay, they sort of think, well, why would we pay when we can just get so much other content for free? and it's not really uh, benefiting our bottom line. Mm-hmm. So for, for that reason, um, they are threatening to essentially uh, block Canadian content from being shared on their platforms. This is a threat. We don't know if they're actually going to follow through with this threat, but that is what they're saying at this time.
1: Yeah. I guess the, the biggest question, first of all, is for people who, you know, follow Energetic City on Facebook or name your news website, CTV, CBC, whatever it happens to be. Um, This means then they can't get their news through Facebook anymore if they follow through with this, correct?
2: That's right. So if they follow through with this, we would expect that uh, individuals would actually have to go to Energetic City News website uh, to seek it out directly. So you wouldn't be able to share that link on Facebook. You wouldn't be able to look for that in your news feed. You'd have to go to those sources directly.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you expect it'll be different with kind of the the size of the media company that's being affected and uh, like will it have a different impact on say a small company like energetic city that's locally owned uh as compared to say something like the cbc which is national which is a huge kind of you know corporation will there be a difference in kind of how the effect um you know is shared by these two companies do you think
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there could be. So Google is one organization that obviously has some concerns about this, and some of the concerns that they've raised relate to the fact that larger news organizations have more resources to actually negotiate these contracts, um, whereas smaller organizations may not have the resources, both you know in terms of financial resources or legal networks, um, to negotiate good contracts. So in theory, these larger corporations would be in a better position to negotiate a contract that they think is fair compared to some of these smaller organizations. So it could be an issue for smaller organizations.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, you've you've done some work on uh, kind of social media in your career. What kind of impact do you think this will have on just the sharing of news in general? Because, of course, you know, we're not the only news sources, news companies. There's news shared in lots of different ways. What do you think would change if that happened and they banned Canadian companies from sharing news In just sort of the spread of news and and in some cases not news and misinformation in general.
2: Yeah, I mean this is sort of a multifaceted question. I think one thing we need to be careful of is saying that it's a ban. I don't see it as a ban. The language that they're using is blocking it, so mm-hmm. there is a little bit of a difference here. Blocking it would essentially just uh, be preventing individuals from sharing those links, um, but there are real impacts that could be felt. So I think a lot of people, and myself included, can be a little bit lazy when it comes to getting the news. We're not necessarily going to individual news websites and seeking out that news. We're letting it come to us. We're almost sort of wanting our news to be spoon fed to us through social media or maybe we're using uh Google news as a way to search for the news that we think is relevant. You know, we can put search terms to get the news that we want. Um, but if this comes into effect, we are not going to get that news in our news feed anymore. We're gonna have to go and seek it out. If we search for Canadian news on Google, we're gonna be seeing links from things like BBC um, from mm-hmm. ABC News. So we're we're going to have American journalism talking about Canadian issues instead of seeing um, the links from our Canadian sources. So it is a concern in terms of the news that we're getting, the messages that we're, we're getting. Um, are we actually accessing news that's made in Canada that addresses the issues that we care about? It may be harder to find information about local events than it was previously.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I know for Canadian news in general, it's been harder. The advertising revenue has been harder to find. And this has been slowly happening over the past 25, 30 years, right? In this case, if you can't share a link to a story that was written by energeticcity.ca, for example, in theory, less people who are on Facebook. There's lots of lots of people follow us on Facebook. Would, as you say, have to find the link themselves, find the website themselves, or may not visit at all. Which is how Energetic City gets their revenue is through advertising on their website. That's right. Um, do you do you have a sense of sort of the impact that would have the sort of loss of advertising revenue that that could stem from this if the biggest audience on the biggest social media website decides to, as you say, block Canadian news and not allow you to easily click that link and go to the website and now people just have to go to the website itself.
2: Mhm. Mhm. So advertising for local news uh, organizations?
1: Yeah, yeah, local, I mean even on a on a national scale as you say, they could negotiate contracts, but it'll still it could have an an effect, correct?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would expect that we would see reduced traffic to uh, news organizations' websites because a lot of people, I mean, you could guess what the the URL is for a news uh, website, but a lot of people may not actually know how to find that news directly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think you are going to see reduced traffic. Uh, I know for myself and and many people that I know, they visit news links when somebody shares it online. Mm -hmm. So if we have that stream... Uh, being cut off, then yeah, that would reduce traffic and potentially reduce advertising revenue for the news organizations. Yeah.
1: Is there something you could see replacing that in terms of maybe instead of it being news organizations who have trained journalists who, you know, write the news articles, you have personalities who have Facebook pages instead who can sort of deliver the news, but there's no real check or balance on the accountability of whether that news is actually news or if it's misinformation.
2: Yeah, I mean I think you raise a really great point and this has also been brought up by some people. Um, the fact that when we remove credible news sources from social media, we then have an information vacuum in a sense, right? So that good quality journalism is not available. What people are getting instead may not be good quality information. They may be turning to individual content creators who have their own channel and are spinning messages. And as you said, they may not be held or they may not even be aware of the journalistic standards that you know, credible journalists are held to, mm-hmm. and so this could potentially. To loop back to a question you had asked earlier, this could absolutely increase the spread of misinformation if people are relying more on, I would say, sort of non credible or, um, or non vetted sources for that information.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And does that does that concern you? The idea of that happening, then, where. Instead of it being, as I said, trained journalists, it's just somebody who maybe even with the best of intention That's heard a right. story is repeating it. But nonetheless, that story hasn't been checked out by anybody else to say ah, this might be an inaccurate fact that you're presenting here. Is that is that a, something you think is a big concern with with the perhaps possible loss of credible news sources from Facebook?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is already happening, right? We have YouTube creators, um, people who have their own websites and blogs who are sharing their views on things without checks and balances, without necessarily, necessarily doing the fact checking that they should be doing. And it's easy to do. It's easy to, to state a fact that you saw somewhere, right? And you didn't double check where that fact came from before that, right? So it's, it's easy to do even with good intentions. So I do think that's already happening. Um, it could happen more and more. Um, so yeah, I absolutely think that's a concern.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I want to, uh, once again, kind of talk about independent news and, and kind of local news, especially, right? Um, again, we've been seeing this happen slowly over the past 30 years, where local news is is getting smaller and smaller, again, because advertising revenue has been harder and harder to, to find. Companies are closing up shop and just sort of concentrating all their news into, you know, hubs. Now, doesn't mean people aren't reporting on f- Stuff that happens in Fort St. John, but they aren't doing it daily or even weekly at times from kind of the bigger outfits like the CBC. But a place like Energetic City, our reporters are here kind of doing the work. Um, Again, I mean, we've been seeing this sort of media concentration happening already. Mm -hmm. Is this just sort of something that was going to happen inevitably anyway because of just how hard it is to run a local news outfit compared to, say, 25 or 30 years ago?
2: yeah i mean that's a that's a challenging question to answer. I think in some ways it has been inevitable in the in the way that uh, news organizations make their their money right which has been in the past through advertising through classified ads. Um, and through subscriptions, and through the purchase of paper copies, and with the advent of the Internet, I mean, that's changed everything, right? So, uh, people are no longer looking to newspapers to post their classifieds, they're no longer picking up paper copies, because they can get everything for free on the Internet. And then, I also wanted to talk about, too, Facebook how they make their money and I mentioned I think I mentioned before that they also make their money from advertising Uh uh, because we don't pay to access Facebook right Um, we pay by giving them our data Yeah, (laughs) that is how Facebook makes um, their money because they can then sell advertising space and sell our data in some cases even though they say they don't really but they can uh, to people who want to sell products and so it's much more efficient for uh, a company that wants to sell a product or service to do so on Facebook because they have access to target marketing whereas newspapers haven't been able to provide that and so a lot of the advertising revenue that traditionally would have gone to newspapers is now going to Facebook Um, and so yeah newspapers have been left in a position where they are they don't have a lot of opportunities to um, generate profit anymore and how can they pay their journalists to do the important work that they're doing if they don't have access to a profit stream so This is a big concern, Um, and I think that it's interesting because, um, you know, talking about media concentration, uh, government data and the data that we have about our industry shows that uh, five—sorry, five companies own eighty percent of. The the market share when Mm -hmm. it comes to broadcasting, which means that local news organizations only make up probably 20% of that. And so these giants, media giants, groups like um, organizations like Bell, uh, Rogers, and CBC, they have the bulk of the market share. And there's also research... Um, from where did it I have some notes about this Um, there's research from government that says that uh, it's expected 75% of the compensation that will come out of Bill C-18 will go to these major companies Mm -hmm. and so this is a a bigger question that we have to ask is is this really the best way to do things when most of the benefits are accruing to companies that are already multi billion dollar corporations Um, But what I found when I did a little bit of research on this topic is that the views on it are mixed from local newspapers and local news organizations. Some of them are actually very welcoming of this because they have seen their revenues being cut off. And Mm -hmm. so they're welcoming of another opportunity to generate profit to hopefully keep their work going.
1: Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating topic that... uh has lots of implications, and we'll be watching very closely to what happens and uh if uh you know if and when bill c eighteen passes what the ramifications of it will be uh Dr D Francesco, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being here.
2: thanks for having me.
1: That was Dr. Darren D. Francesco from the northern Light College again bill c eighteen has passed it received royal assent yesterday our thanks to our guests rob fraser and Daryl uh darren pardon me darren d francesco for joining us today Since you're likely going to be seeing less news on Facebook, I encourage you to spend more time at EnergeticCity.ca. And while you're there, sign up for a newsletter. They're free and delivered straight to your inbox with all the local and regional news to get you started for your day. While you're there, you can also sign up for the Peace Politics newsletter, which covers the doings of local governments in the peace. And sign up for our brand new summer events newsletter, which keeps you up to date on all the events happening in the region and gives you some ideas of how to spend your time in the great outdoors and the wonderful summer that seems so short here. You can sign up today at energeticcity.ca slash newsletters. That's our show. Jordan Prentice and Trey Lopashinsky are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well.